Well, hi there. I uh, have the privilege of being with my very best friend, Marcia, again. We're just going to introduce something that I think you're going to find very interesting. It was back in 1990. I'd been a juvenile court judge for 15 years, and uh, we were being asked to consider uh, taking on a role to start Michigan Family Forum, which is connected to Focus on the Family that at the time was directed by Dr. James Dobson. Mm -hmm. So we said, wait a minute, before we can even think about doing it, we got to meet with Dr. Dobson. And uh, I thought, well, they're not going to let us do that. I mean, you know, who talks to this guy? Well, anyhow, a couple of weeks later, we were on a private jet <laughs> heading to actually Phoenix, Arizona is where we initially met with them. And we did. And uh, we told them our story. How many kids did we have back then, my dear? Ten. Ten kids. Okay. And they were touched by the story, and they they basically said, we'd love to have you come work with us, and uh, we'd love to have you on our program and talk about children, the, the, the joys of having a large family. So I think we even have a picture of that initial little meeting with them. Do you remember that meeting with them in in uh, Phoenix, Arizona? Uh, yes. Jim and Shirley Dobson, and right. we we look the same. Wouldn't you agree with me that no, you and I look exactly, exactly the same? <laughs> Not me, you do, but I don't. But you you're so amazing. Can you imagine you had given birth to ten kids and look at look at how cute you are. Amazing. I, I cheat. I have a great husband. I have <laughs> a great God that helps me through since He knows I don't like pain and. I can't do anything without him, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. So we uh, did do that. We recorded. We had actually a breakfast with them. Yep. Because yep. we were at a conference, actually. Yep. And this actually, this picture is a number of years later. We went back subsequent to that and did another recording with Jim and, uh, but this is us when we had four kids. We're going to talk about on the program how pretty much I was done. Can you imagine how busy we were? See the one on my lap, the little girl there, Alicia? When you look in your dictionary for strong-willed child, you do see her picture, just saying. But she's also amazingly she has, loving. She oh, amazing. She moves mountains. And, and she has given never that, trade her in for she, anything, she, any other personality with her. I agree. And she gave that strong will to Jesus. And yeah. I'm just so amazed. Every one of them, just so amazing. So we were pretty much done. And then, well, you'll hear on the program some of what happened. But uh, this is one of the results. And 17 years later, we have just... 12 kids <laughs> and uh you know as they grow up you know there's when the marriage actually of our quote baby who's in the middle of the back row uh, nathan and of course they start having kids and this is our 50th wedding anniversary a few years ago and this past summer Again, this isn't all of them, but most of them uh, and their you know, spouses and their kids. And we even got one great grandson, uh, not in this picture, but that's just been amazing. So it's been phenomenal. So I think you're going to find it enjoyable. But the other thing is that it's impacted other people, which really was a surprise. It's, it's, it's <laughs> you know, when people see that, yeah, having children costs money and it, it takes work. But you're talking about creating 
working with God for him to create a child that is created in his image as the potential of impacting this world and then living forever. That's just huge. And again, our story is, it, it was a rough, rough go for me, much less rough. Well, of course you had to have the kids, but I mean, for me to, to think about having more and paying for college tuition, everything else that God has wonderfully provided, but it's also influenced some other people. Yes, it? it's surprising sometimes, like even in a Bible study a few years ago at our church, a woman was in my small group and she just said, I never told you this because we were new back in that church. And she said, um, I, you're, I heard your story on Focus <laughs> wow. years ago. And it, it God used that to make my husband and I decide to have a daughter, another child who's mm -hmm. a daughter. And she has been such a comfort to me because my husband died not long ago oh, wow. and she's just been a she's she just has been a jewel in our lives all the way through and there's other stories too our next door neighbors that's true they didn't hear the broadcast well they might have heard the broadcast but well, they, they, they just have had their 11th child wow so, and, and they're going for 12 i hope and think they are so. and we we another previous podcast you can check it out the bontrager family uh we interviewed them they were going to have just two or three and then they heard the broadcast. I think it was rebroadcast in 1994. And now they have 10 and they travel the country as the Bontrager family singers. And they all, every one member of the family wrote us an individual letter a few years ago, thanking us for the broadcast and for the lesson learned. And some of the younger ones were kind of cute. I said, thank you for talking to Dr. Dobson, because I wouldn't be here if my parents had, hadn't heard that. So we're grateful. It's just the grace of God. All and glory he to God. Gives, he makes our testimonies of things he shows us and does in our lives. Yes. And we just present the jewels that he's yep. placed in our hands. Yes. Imperfect as we are and yes. imperfect parents, but just giving him us. And that's what he even said to me different times. Mm -hmm. Would you let me use you just like I was using Mary yeah. when she chose to obey and that's have really Jesus? Good. Would you let me use you? And I, I said, yes, God, I, what a privilege to give him us. And you can do, do your plan in my life, mm -hmm. God, for your glory. Mm -hmm. That's my longing. That's why I'm here. He's saved my life different times. And it's, I continue to be so grateful that he loves me unconditionally and is, is just grace that I'm saved and I can give him myself every day. And uh, just one final thing is it's not that having that going into labor and delivery was your favorite thing in the whole wide world. <laughs> would pray. Oh, have everybody praying. Our church would be praying and God would get me through it. I don't like pain. You know, I had does. hard labors. They were very hard. But you decided it was worth it. Yes, I, he puts that desire. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put his desires in our hearts. Oh, if so we're thankful. loving, if we give him all we got. Yep. He put that desire that made me just want to have oh. another child. Have another child, because yeah. that was his desire in, in our lives. And I, you know, the way that each one is touching people that you and I could never touch, that they're right. missionaries to the future. It's really true. We just it's just all glory to God. I again doing. I mentioned in the broadcast getting tears thinking about not knowing those wonderful all of them i mean the I first know, four really, incredible I mean, but we would not have those children they are precious 
it was a prayer. Do you want us to have another? That's a lot of kids after that's four. Yeah, it is. And then I, I couldn't just tell him. I was saying, this is enough kids, God. I remember where I was standing, yeah, where yeah, I prayed that. Yeah. And then I thought, I'm telling him not to make another person. Do you want us to have another yeah. child? Please show Randy. Oh, help us. God. And he, when we have that attitude, we're just crack that door. It, are you, That's do good. you want us to go through this door That's of having it. another child? That's right. you got to show us and Amen. he will. He's so amazing. So let me just quickly, Lord, just bless people as they watch this. And that each one of us will, someone said, like, write a blank check and give it to Jesus. And uh, right now, again, today. That he be not just my Savior, but my Lord of every, every, every area of my life, including yes, this God. very important area. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just use this broadcast for your glory. Amen. Amen. This tape features a conversation between Dr. Dobson and his guests, former Michigan Juvenile Court Judge Randy Heckman and his wife, Marcia. Together, they discussed God's love for children and the family. Randy and Marcia Heckman have become very good friends to Shirley and me, and I know you've enjoyed their friendship as well. Right. We had known the Heckmans for only a short time when we recorded this interview back in April of 1990, and we held it. We didn't air it immediately in order to um, offer a surprise at the end of the program, which we'll explain later. So uh, this program was actually aired in July of 1990. And if you uh, missed it then, uh, if you heard it and have forgotten it, <laughs> uh, you're going to hear that surprise all over again. I think people are going to like it, Mike. Uh, just quickly, let me give some brief information on Randy Heckman. Uh, since April 16, 1990, uh, he has served as the director of the Michigan Family Forum. In fact, at the time of their initial visit, Randy was only 11 days away from assuming this responsibility, and the Michigan Family Forum was opening its doors. Uh, he had been a juvenile court judge prior to that, and he mm -hmm. left the bench to accept this responsibility in what we call family policy councils. So we have an interest in this family for more than one reason. Uh, we really appreciate what they stand for. But this interview dealt with their very large family. They had 10 children at that time. And we'll hear a little bit more about that on the tape. And don't leave early. Stay all the way to the end for that surprise. <laughs> well, Mike, we're going to meet a superstar family today. <laughs> I mean to tell you, this one goes down in the family hall of fame. Uh, most of us are just ordinary folks uh, trying to cope with Speak life. Speak for yourself. Yeah, well, there are some <laughs> exceptions, Mike, and uh, we have an exception uh, here today. I am delighted to introduce Judge Randy and Marcia Heckman to our listeners. You folks are going to love these people. Welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Randy has a Bachelor of Science degree in management from MIT. He received his law degree from George Washington University. He's been a juvenile court judge for 15 years in Kent County, Michigan since 1975. I'm, I'm sure you have a million stories to tell associated with that responsibility, Randy. Maybe we'll hear some of them. Only recently has left that prestigious post to serve as the director of the Michigan Family Coalition, one of the 16 coalitions that Focus on the Family has um, had a hand in uh, starting, at least has uh, provided some 
of the um, development uh, experience and so on. We'll talk about that later, but perhaps the job that uh, brings the most delight to Judge Randall Heckman is that of being a dad and uh, Marcia to being a mom. Are these folks mom and dad? There are <laughs> 10 kids sitting out in the gallery. Marcia, you have given birth to all of them. None of them are adopted, right? That's right. 10 kids, and you want three more, I it's, understand. I really love that. Looking love at that. you, one would never guess that you have given birth to 10 kids. And I'm telling you, Mike, they are the most delightful kids. They've been in my office, and they're they are polite, and they're just a wonderful family. Uh, did I describe that right, Randall, in saying that of all the things you've done and your accomplishments and being juvenile court judge and having that kind of respect and dignity and so on? That being a dad is the thing that you're most proud of? There's no question. And that's what gives me the greatest joy as well, is to look at those children. We had a birthday the other day of uh, one of our children, and as I looked at her, I just uh, welled up with uh, with tears thinking if, if she wasn't in our life. And then I looked at all of them, and I just thought, each one of those children is of infinite value. In fact, I met you all several months ago in Phoenix, and we had breakfast together. That's right. We were sitting around the table, and you were... You were talking about your children, and when you talked about the possibility of not knowing the last six because you almost stopped at four, you got tears in your eyes, and, and you've got them now. <laughs> I do, and it's, it's just uh, it's incredible to me to think about going through eternity without knowing these children, and, and yet we take that ability to cooperate with God for God to, to make children, because he's the one that creates children. We somehow think biologically that, that we're involved in making children, and certainly God uses principles that he's created. But ultimately, as David spoke to God yeah. in Psalm 139, he, he said that, that God had formed him in the womb. Yeah. And I had wanted to, to think in terms of this being under my control, and I thought four kids is really enough to have. We had four darling daughters, and... Uh, for some reason, we just did not feel that it was right for us to take control of this area. As we read in Scripture, we saw how God was involved in opening the womb and closing the womb, particularly in the Old Testament. And we decided uh, through much prayer and, and soul-searching that uh, this area ought to be in God's hands. So we gave it to God's hands, and I really was praying myself that God would somehow close my wife's womb because I felt <laughs> I know that hands, I, but you're going to tell him right, what to do with it. I can't handle more than, than four kids. But meanwhile, Marcia was praying at the same time. Well, yeah, it's amazing how prayer had such a part in this thing because I was like standing, and I remember where I was in our house, our smaller house than we have now, but we had those four little girls and. I was kind of just talking to God and saying, God, isn't this about enough? We have four and we're busy. We love them, but this is, isn't this about enough, humanly speaking? But God, I caught myself not wanting to end talking to him there. But if you want us to have more, change Randy's heart. And I didn't, it was no like major prayer to me at that time, but look at how that God did hear that. How he, I didn't even tell Randy I prayed that, and he just began to change his heart, and he became, he wanted another child. That was amazing. You are really serious, Marcia, about wanting three more. Oh, uh, I would love to have more if the Lord would let us. Would you be embarrassed to tell us your age? 42. 42, and That's you still want age. three more kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're his kids, yeah. and uh, it's a high calling. 
I wonder how many dads there are out in the audience. I know one is sitting right here in this chair who have thought they had enough kids, and then their wife says, but I'd like to have more. And then all of a sudden she shows up pregnant, and you go through that little period of time when you say, but I didn't want any more. Did you go through that? I did. I yeah. did. And then then it's just swept away, and you're so elated over adding another one well, to the, the family. The choice was taken away from us. We couldn't have any more, and uh, that, that was a a time of considerable grief for us sure. because I grew up as a as an only child in a family of only children. And we have a very small family and I would love to have a family like you have with kids all over the place. There is such security in that and such love. Mm. Uh, and yet you're going cross grain against the the whole culture in the Western world. Now, uh, when you got off the plane to come here, so, uh, a family sent you out here. Uh, True. The, the, the cost of airfare would have been incredible and was incredible. Uh, when you got off the plane and you're walking through the airport and you're a mob of 12, what do people, how do they react to you? Uh, well, some people ignore us. And some people look and then they look again and then they look again. Yeah. Uh, and then m- many people are really drawn to seeing this family of typically smiling children that look related to each other and will often get comments, are they all yours? Now, sometimes when, when we got we're one in, of those on the way here. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. And she was just taken aback. She just kept commenting, oh, these children, they're just, you can, it's like they're a testimony in their faces. I'll say, oh, and you're here by, you know, it's only when it's 10 o'clock. It was nothing to get there by 10. We get to church earlier than that and mm-hmm. here today earlier. But um just kept commenting. And it's such a wonderful opportunity to share Christ with this person. I mean, it's like the Lord might bring some up. Tell and, me how. How and, do you use this for the Lord? Well, I just knew, even as I talked to her, I didn't have much time. We were standing and waiting to get the tickets, whatever they do to uh-huh. <laughs> stamped or whatever. And she, I just said, well, you know, they're really God's children. And uh, we love them, but um, we can't take credit for, you know, them being here. And I had this little track thing that's really kind of neat that each child wrote a little paragraph, just what they would like to say to somebody. It says, what does this family have to say at the top? It's got a black and white picture at the and top. And it's your kids that have made right. these statements. Yeah. And then it just tells what, how, the, how do we do? We're not perfect. We have our times for sure. But God is the one that helps us to forgive each other and get up and love each other and uh, keep too. pressing on. And so it tells that in this little tract, this little uh. paper. So I said, would you like to, oh, could I have that? The ones that he's really bringing will say something uh, like that. Mm-hmm. And she'd never heard of Focus on the Family. But I told her, you're going to go on her way out here to be on the show. And she said, when is it going to be on? Would you tell me? Here's my address. So it was like she was really interested. Uh, Mike, when they say they're not a perfect family, we have a case in point this morning. <laughs> they got up to come over here and forgot one of the kids. Scott got left behind. How old is he? He is a five. You ought to hear him tell us. Yes, he's six. <laughs> There's always one Just that six. wanders off. I asked him what he did when he realized he'd been left, and he said, "Well, first I cried, and then I prayed, and then then he went and reported it." That's right. He? Yep. And they called over here to focus on the family, and you guys went back after him. I uh, do. <laughs> you didn't realize you were missing one, right? No, Not until we were introducing the family to someone downstairs, and I came down to to uh, Scott's 
in the order, and uh, he wasn't there. <laughs> Usually we try to count off when we get in a car or a van. It's yeah, a count yeah. off, and then they count off, and we hopefully aren't missing any numbers at that point. We you forgot to do that this morning. buddy system, too, don't you? Yes. How does that work? Well, we put Mary in similar temperament to Scott, so that was his buddy, but in all the flurry of getting all the things out of the hotel somehow. But all of them are linked up. Uh, yeah, each one. like that to help has you a bar- keep track a of everybody. Yes. Uh, that's the thing that has impressed me just in the period of time that I've known you all is how organized this big clan is. You'd almost have to do that or you'd go crazy, wouldn't you? You have the older right. kids with certain assignments. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that works. With the household jobs, usually we go through once a year and just sort of have a list of all the possible jobs. I try to think of every job in the house, and I have my share too, but just that it's it's like on this list, and then we tell the children the possible jobs one by one, and they can raise their hand and volunteer for a certain job for that. Usually it's for a year, and they have certain ones that they have for, we call them bigs, that they do once a week, scrubbing floors, usually it's once a week, and other ones are dailies. We call them dailies, but it's like twice a week that they do that, and they're kind of in charge, like one will straighten a bathroom every day. and it's Everything is covered. Laundry, too. So each girl has a certain color thing. They do darks and... Sounds like a camp experience. (laughs) Now let me really blow you away. This pretty lady sitting right here who's had 10 children homeschooled all 10 of them last year and four of them this year. Uh, How in the world? Uh, I think the first time I met you, I asked you if you were a high energy person, and you obviously are. Well, I don't know that I'm... I'm not. I mean, people that know me, if they hear this, they'll say, Marsha, heck, my Marsha Beeler used to be has all these children. It's really a testimony to God because I do need him. I was saying, oh, you guys, we have to trust. And they say, Mother, why are you saying? But they know I have to trust God to help me get up in the night with him. I don't feel like that. You know, I don't feel like getting up and cleaning up a mess. Somebody was sick. And I need him to do that through me and to love him and, and ask forgiveness when I blow it and just... He's, I'm just, it's a great way to grow as a Christian too, because you have all these natural opportunities and you get humble because you blow it and you have to ask forgiveness and then they forgive you and you go on and you, we really do love each other and that's testimony to God. Are there times when you just feel like you can't put another foot? Yes, yeah, and often God's dealing with me, though, on something inside, something I'm angry at somebody or something out of my past I have to deal with. And he'll help me, though. He will give me some truth, and I'm not there yet. We had a talk this morning, you know, and how does it feel? And trying to work through things and forgive people from our past, everybody, just that we have a a clear conscience, the best we can, and have the Lord, we call it boss. We tell the kids, Uh who's your boss? You know, and they know what we mean. Is it me or is it Jesus? And we want to get him on. Even on the way, I'll say, how many want Jesus to be your boss? Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. <laughs> John, did you raise your hand? Yeah, because we know that's the only way it's going to work. Randy, tell me as a, as a father how you feel about these kids. Well, Marcia was too quick when she described how I felt when she told me she was pregnant with number five. Remember I said that she was praying that she would have more children. I was saying, boy, before God, I really feel that this should be God's decision. And I really thank God loving me and understanding my situation. He will close my wife's womb because I can't handle more kids. Um, so we uh, you know, related to each other as husband and wife. And along came the day when she came up to me and said, as only a wife can say to a husband, you know, Randy, I just don't feel so good. 
And in my mind's eye, I could see this green six-passenger airplane <laughs> in a graveyard <laughs> in spiral. A crash! <laughs> and uh, Mike mentioned a moment ago, you know, how he felt when he learned that uh, his wife was expecting. I felt depressed. Yes. I yes. felt depressed for two weeks. And I say that to my, my shame. Uh, and I, you know, try on the outside, I tried to, you know, say, aren't you happy? Marsha would say, oh, sure. But inside, I was just thinking, this is awful. Five kids. Now, again, I say that to my shame because I didn't think I could handle five kids. I didn't think she could handle five kids. My, my picture of God was small in that sense. Well, the reason I had tears when we talked about this before is that I just think about what life would be without the next one that came along and the following. But David, his name means beloved. And he is such a precious young man. I wish you could spend time getting to know him. But uh, he wouldn't be here if I had run that part of my life. But, but my attitude of feeling, feeling upset with that next child coming along, to me, is a pro-abortion attitude. People do not have abortions because they want to kill babies. They have abortions because they have other things in life more important than having a child. And this pregnancy is inconvenient. This child is inconvenient. Yet they want to relate sexually, understand. There's an inconsistency there. And Mike, this is, this is the essence of the philosophy that drives these folks, right. is that the pro-life position, the pro-life movement, the pro-life understanding mm -hmm. involves a lot more than just preventing the killing of babies. Right. It involves how we feel about life, about God's precious gift of procreation, That's right. of bringing a youngster into the world. You and I talked before about how many parents approach the arrival of a baby or even the adoption of a baby uh, like you would buy a new car or a used car. Yeah, kicking the wheels, looking it over, seeing if it's adequate, if it's if it's going to serve you well. When in fact, every one of those little children are worth more than the possessions of the entire world. That's right. So it's a whole attitude toward children that you're talking about. And who's in charge of making these children? We have such a biological viewpoint of life, where we say, "Well, do you want to make a baby this year, wife?" Well, I don't know. Do we have money in the bank? Do you feel like it? I don't know. I don't know. And that is so ungodly. God is the one who says, I want a young man or a young woman for a purpose. I mean, we can look to, to biblical days. We can think of God making a Moses when Moses' parents already had their millionaire's family, their boy and their girl, uh, Aaron and Mary. And there was trouble in there the land. There was a lot, too. and there was overpopulation and everything else. And if you had a boy baby, he's dead meat. And they said, no. We are going to be open to God for a child. And God said, I want to raise the leader, greatest leader the world's ever seen in the form of Moses. We see Jeremiah 1, 5, where God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. God wants to make children to be leaders and followers and servants in our culture. And we as Christians treat it, like you said, like picking out a car. Or what side of the, the, the town do you want to live on? or what kind of car do you want, or whatever. It's not that way. It should be in God's hands. We really want him to be Lord of our lives. Why not this area? We're talking about whether or not children are going to be created by God who have the potential to, to impact eternity. And we demean that. We, we raise up sexuality to the point where we actually worship it as a culture. And yet we so demean the creation of children of the potential of living forever. Marcia, let me, let me play a game with you. Let me uh, say some words that I'm sure you've heard before, and then you answer them for me. Um, 
uh, suppose I'm a, a neighbor friend of yours who comes over for coffee in the morning. And uh, this person says, uh, Marcia, I don't want to offend you or anything, but if you really want to know what I'm thinking, uh, I don't think it's fair for you to have all these children. The world's natural resources are are in short supply, and there's only so much to go around. And if everybody did what you're doing, uh, we would just totally overpopulate this world. And in fact, that is happening now. And you're not being responsible in in bringing all these kids into the world. You, you've heard the argument. Right. Uh, what do you say to people like that? Well, um, Randy would be a better one for the facts on this thing, but um, that really the whole world can fit in the state of Texas, mm-hmm. is it? He did a study on this because it really is a myth that we're overpopulated. There's just there's plenty of room, and a lot of these children that we don't want. Think of the potential. Think of the discoveries that they could even make that God might have put in some of these that we're saying no to for things they might invent or ways to use food or get food and. Um, it's, but it's a myth. The overpopulation thing is and really, it's, it's a myth. really unbiblical too, isn't it? He said, it's, "Be fruitful right. and multiply." Well, that's right. The thing which which depletes our ability to really feed ourselves is not numbers of people, but it's disobedience. Actually, throughout Scripture, it's when God's people have not followed God that God sent famines and other sorts of problems, typically. And uh, uh, there's some excellent writings by Dr. Julian Simon, for example, the unlimited resource. Uh, who shows, actually, he's an economist, who shows how in the history of the world, if you give people the freedom to respond to temporary shortages, that uh, actually the more people there are, the higher the per capita standard of living can be because people respond with their minds and are able to be very productive, much more efficient. It used to require, uh, everyone needed to have a copper pot, for example, to cook things in. We don't need all that copper anymore, just for example. And the actual per capita or per unit cost of, of a unit of copper has actually declined in history because we've been able to be more efficient with uh, with resources. You know what is really inter- interesting to me, and I haven't totally formulated this thought, but I'm working on it. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, we're told, uh, the Lord says, Behold, I've set before you life and death, mm-hmm. therefore choose life. If you look at those that are in the um, anti-family frame of mind, the, those that come with the secular humanistic mindset, um, they favor death in all of its contexts, not only abortion, but infanticide, That's the right. killing of handicapped children, euthanasia. Uh, this attitude here that you're referring to, and the Lord calls us to celebrate life. That's He's right. the giver of life. And I saw the most extreme example of that in the first week of April 1990, Newsweek magazine, uh, where, uh, in fact, the, the writer extended that death concept to its ultimate extreme. I can't believe that anybody would be stupid enough to write the article that this guy did, much less Newsweek publishing it. But he proposed, because of this overpopulation problem that we have, quote unquote, in, in fact, uh, we're approaching zero population. We're below zero population. If it were not for immigrants, right? Even with immigrants, we will have a population decline. The U.S. Census Bureau is projecting a population decline in the United States within 45 years, including 
immigration. That is that deaths will outnumber births plus immigration. Well, this that makes this even more foolish because what he is suggesting and proposing is that when a girl turns 13 and is pubescent, that the government give her $400 for not getting pregnant in one year. The second year, she gets 500 The third year, 600 The next year, seven, Up to 52 years of age, or $100,000 that she would be paid to remain barren. And uh, the cost for this is $117 billion, which he has some convoluted way of, uh, of computing that uh, we're going to save money through the welfare system. And can you imagine what that really means? You know, what if women believed that? It is I mean, they're bouncing along with a wagon load of humanity uh, out behind in about 15 or 18 years, and it's, you no longer have a choice. It's over. And so then you have this aging, dying, selfish population heading toward death with no newness and no freshness and no springtime and no regeneration and no procreation and no babies and no maternity wards and no pediatricians and no toys and no schools and no joy and the giggles of childhood. Right. All of that would be gone. You got this this wrinkled up, dying population. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard anybody say in the history of mankind. That's right. And yet he would set it with a straight face, apparently, and Newsweek published it as though that was a good idea. I know it's preposterous. It just shows how far this this death mentality has gone. There's a proverb, Proverbs fourteen twelve. It's repeated in Proverbs sixteen twenty five. There's a way that seems right unto a man. There's a lot of things that seem reasonable, logical. Yeah, that makes sense. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And that's what we've done to our culture. Man, apart from God and his wisdom, inevitably heads toward death. And that's the way our culture is going. Apart from Christians taking a stand. I can't blame the non-Christian world for not understanding God's principles. But I can blame Christians for not practicing God's principles. That's what needs to happen. Christians need to lead lovingly by our radical, if you will, biblical-centered lives. And by God helping us, that's what Marsha and I have been trying to do. We just need to like make him boss of this area of our lives, you know, because he can make us want what he wants. If we just like, I just had a very glance at God that day. I said, but God, if you want us to have more children, change Randy's heart. And he heard that and changed his heart. But then after that, even between children, we'd pray, God, what do you want us to do? We don't want to take this area. We could humanly figure it out. Well, this much money, this much time. What's Marcia want her potential to be? Blah, blah, blah. But God, what do you want in our lives? We really don't want to. Life is short. I don't want to waste it on me telling him what to do. I want his best. God, what do you want? And he began to change our heart to see that children, this is it. Just you can't express the value of a life that he could use for his glory, and what a privilege! I got one shot at life. What a privilege! I I think you've done pretty well with it, Marcia. (laughs) For him, though, as we come down to the end of this broadcast, I do feel a need for an expression of some balance because I'm concerned about the exceptions that are out there. There are infertile couples out there who who have perhaps wept through this discussion. It isn't fair. You guys have ten, want three more. I can't have one. Uh, There are also people out there who are not well, uh, who are physically ill. 
who are not able to keep up with the children they have. And I know the Lord can, can do a miracle in their lives, but they still have to deal with an additional issue that we haven't Thank talked you. about here. And there are other people who are in real poverty. There are other circumstances, but I felt our listeners need to hear how you all feel about this. And I wish, Mike, that they could be here to see that family of 10 out there. <laughs> you wouldn't take a million dollars for a one of them, would you? Not I a mean, billion, not two billion. Yeah. And I can see why. Um, Marcia, you going to have some more? I hope it's really up to God, even as you're talking about these people. That I just love these people, too, you know, that you're talking about they can't have children. Because I've seen, I've had miscarriages, too, and, and it's hard. Because Jesus, you know, we don't always understand what he's doing, but we can take our hurts to him and, and just pray and trust him. And that's knows, basically that's basically and, our point is that we want to we're we're not saying to have a million children. Right. We're saying give this Let's area to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be open to him for what he has. And he is sovereign whether you have children or don't have children. He must be sovereign in this area. And there's always we have, we need foster parents and we need adoptive parents for those who cannot have children. There's lots of children looking for homes. And so God loves us all and will meet us where we're at. You know what's exciting to me? I don't know who it is. I have no idea where this person is, but there's somebody out there listening to us today who has been struggling with this very issue. Right. Almost accidentally turned on the radio today and heard this discussion. And the Lord is speaking through it. And uh, there will be a little child in their arms because of what we've had to say today. Amen. Doesn't that excite you? That does. In fact, I've been able to see that. I've gone out to speak on this issue. And a year later, I'll come back to that same area. And they'll bring either a picture or a little baby in their arms. And they'll say, you caused this child yeah. by what you said. And this just does nothing but give me great joy. <laughs> his Credit to God. Let's talk some more. Uh, Randy, I'd like to hear more about your experiences as a juvenile court judge and uh, bring that into this discussion. So right. let's uh, let's carry on. Okay. And that's how we ended the first of two conversations uh, that we had back in April of 1990 with Randy and Marsha Heckman, who spoke with us as their uh, ten children sat in the gallery and made faces at Nine them. children. Oh, Remember one right. that didn't make it. So. <laughs> and for those of you who missed uh, the beginning, we have a special surprise uh, here at the end of the broadcast plan. You know, Mike, when we recorded these comments uh, we just listened to, Shirley and I had been with the Heckmans only one time. And that evening, Shirley invited them all over to our house, uh, Randy and Marcia and the 10 children. We had a delightful time. We enjoyed a wonderful dinner together, and we just fell in love with this family. And as we got to know them, it became clear that each one of those kids was uniquely sure. gifted in his or her own way. Uh, each one had has his or her own personality and talents and strengths. The family is so beautifully organized, Mike, where the older children are assigned to take care of the younger children. And it is really something to behold. I love that family. That's what it all boils down to. Um, as the evening wore on and we had already uh, eaten, uh, Randy and I were out in the backyard with uh, one or two of the boys and we were playing basketball. I, at that time, I had a basketball hoop on the garage in a concrete area back there. And so we were playing basketball and really enjoying ourselves. And I began to hear this most melodious music coming from our living room. We have a 
piano in the living room. And so I stopped playing basketball and I went in there to see who was playing. And it happened to have been Renee, who is the second oldest of the children. At that time, she was 17 years of age and she was playing. Uh, I'll never forget the piece. I can hear it ringing in my ears. And that's the surprise because we're going to hear it uh, here. She was playing the Black Key Etude and uh, it's written by Chopin. And it is beautiful, Mike, but particularly the way Renee played it. So uh, I asked her to play it for me two or three times, and she did. And then we said, why don't you go home, back to Michigan, go to a professional recording studio and record it so our listeners can hear it. And uh, she did that. We played it at the end of the broadcast in 1990. We want to play it today and let people hear Renee Heckman uh, displaying her talents. Michael, I love that. I absolutely love that. I love classical music. And it was such a thrill to see this little kid out of this big family sit down there. That was her talent. The, the other children had different talents mm -hmm. and still do to this day. But uh, that was just part of the excitement of that evening. Did you ever take piano lessons when you were younger? Don't mention it, <laughs> Yeah, I walked three blocks to uh, take piano lessons for about six months, and uh, both the teacher and I had a pretty dramatic understanding that that was not my gift. So <laughs> We'll leave the piano playing to Renee Heckman from the Heckman family. She has now turned uh, 21 years of age and is majoring in music, I understand, at, uh, let's see, is it Indiana University? Indiana University, uh, uh, we're going to hear the rest of that interview with the Heckman family tomorrow. Mike, and we have another little surprise at the end of the broadcast uh, tomorrow.
And that concludes the first day of a previously recorded discussion between Dr. Dobson and his guests, Randy and Marcia Heckman. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.